Amen. There are no words beyond that. He's worthy. God's worthy of all. Man, what's he worth to you? What's he worth to you? And he's worth everything. Everything. Amen? That was kind of weak. He's worthy of it all. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Man. C-Dub, you got anything? Anything? No? All right. That's a first. (laughs) Oh, man. It's a good place. We're in a good place. We're in a good place. His spirit is here among you. I don't know if you can feel it or not, but I, I, I believe we don't just have to walk by faith. You know, when it comes to his presence, I believe that we can feel the weight of his presence when he's in the room. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Wow. You got anything? Thank you, Father. This is, I'm going to jump a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Getting permission. My my mic was still on. They probably heard everything. Okay. All right. All right. So this is what has just been rolling around in me. And this morning, I just kept hearing it during worship. So for those of you that were here last week, you know that we are so blessed and God is so awesome that last week Darren went with Kelly and they went to the bank and we paid off our building so we are debt free and I say that because when I was I was at home last week listening to service and when Darren said that it broke open wide in me that The enemy tries so hard to keep us held down in our finances because when we own this property, when you own your home, when you own your car, when you own those things, you have legal authority over it. You are not tied to any uh, other institute or the beliefs or the politics of anybody else. So where you are standing is ground that has been set apart and mandated by God for his kingdom. You are standing on holy ground. So this is what I got last week was we uh, the first weekend of the month we like to pray over your finances. And um we don't pass a plate or a hat here. So everybody relax. The pucker factor just went Woo! Okay, so just bring it down. Okay. So All we're going to do is just pray over your finances. But here is what God spoke to me. What I felt impressed of was that when you, when you give and when you tithe, what you're doing is you are opening your, you're in this, in the spirit, you are opening your bank account to God. And you're saying, God, I give you authority in my finances. That is a good thing when the world's finances are doing like this. And we don't know what's going to happen. 
in God's kingdom, we always know what is happening. God is a good God. He is a God of more than enough. And you are blessed to be a blessing. That's what we are. We are blessed with abundance to be a blessing to other people and to be able to give and to help and to show the love of God to other people. So when you give and you tithe, you are opening your finances to God. And what I, what dropped in me last week when Darren said that was, I am so glad that I am partnered financially with this church because I want to be debt free. I want my house paid for. I want, I want, I want everyone in here to own your home. And that's what, and for those of you that do own your home, Whatever the next vision is that God has for you, whatever the next thing is, your business, whatever that is, then I want to pray blessing and agree with you for that. So right now, I want you just to, whether it's your pocketbook or whatever it is, if you have it with you or your phone, your finance, your banking is on your phone. I just want you to put your hand on it wherever it is, if you have it close by. And right now, Father, in the name of Jesus... I thank you that you are a God of more than enough. And right now, I pray over those of you in this room that are concerned and that it is a fear and a worry and that your finances in your business, in your paychecks, in your jobs is causing you anxiety right now. And you're waking up at night or it, it wakes you up early in the morning and it's the first thing on your mind. How are you going to do this? How are you going to pay people? How are you going to pay your bills? Right now, in the name of Jesus... In your heart, I want you to open your finances to God. And Father, right now, I declare that you are the God of more than enough for your children. And Father, I pray for an increase of income, an increase of provision for every one of your children. Father, I pray over pocketbooks and over checking accounts here. Father, that no longer are we going to have too much month at the end of the money. Father, that we're going to have more than enough so that we can be a blessing and give and help other people that we see that need help. Father, I pray that as we have stepped onto ground that is owned by you. I pray that when we go home, we would step on our property at home and declare that as your property. And when we own it, Father, we have authority. So we take authority in Weld County. We take authority in the state of Colorado. We take authority in the United States. And we say that the king is here. The king is here. We declare that God is good. We declare that we are stable. We declare that we have more than enough. And we declare in the name of Jesus that your word is true and we will not fear. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for all that you give to us. And we will be good stewards over it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, I asked her if she had anything. Look what happens. Um, You know, just just what she was saying there, I, I just... Remember reading in the, in the Bible about Abraham and God told him to go and wherever he put his foot was his land. He was, he, he was walking and possessing the land. So it's exactly what Lynette just prayed, what she talked about, that we have been given the power to possess our land. God doesn't want you... He doesn't want you to be enslaved to, to a system. He wants you to be free to walk in him. Amen? Amen? So just remember that. Wherever you go, when you go home today, take off walking across your yard with that in mind. I own this. I own this. I'm an owner. I'm a possessor. Amen? Good deal. 
Well, if you would turn around and tell somebody they're a possessor of the land that they have, all right? And then you can have a seat. Check, check. It is my mic. I did turn it off. Sorry, Chris. Well, how's everybody doing today? I am, uh, honestly, I'm having a time with technology right now. There we go. I, um, I usually, um, on Saturday nights, I go in and I finish up my notes and kind of get things ready to go for today and, and, uh, and I'll send my notes. I email myself. That's weird. But I email myself and I email myself my notes so that I can put it on my iPad and have everything. And the technology just wasn't working last night. There wasn't nothing working last night. My football team lost. The only thing that was good in my night last night was I got to watch the UFC fights and my girl won. So um, anyways, uh, that was the only person that won in my life yesterday because everything else was just out of whack. Um, so anyways, good to see you guys this morning. My name is Darren Gleghorn. If I've never got to meet you before, um, man, I'd love to meet you at some point. I'm the lead pastor here, and we just want to welcome you. Thank you so much for coming this morning. And um, man, it's good to see you guys. Good to see you. All three of you. Um, well, we've been, we've been talking about revival over the last few weeks, Pastor Lynette kicked it off and, and uh, she did some very good uh, messages. I don't know if you were here for that. If you weren't, go back to our uh, uh, podcast and you can listen to those things. But uh, so good. We've been talking about revival. And more than that, we've been talking about personal revival. When I, when I think about revival, one of the challenges that I've had in, in doing this, it's not really been a series, it's just been something we, a uh, subject that we've been doing over the last month. Um, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in church. I, my, my mom uh, drug us to church. And, um, but it was, it, was, it was good. It was a good life to grow up under. But the word revival in the denomination that I grew up in was different than what I have found out about revival today. Because the denomination that I grew up in, <clears throat> every year... We had revival at our church. And what revival meant to me, see, I, I didn't have a real good view of revival from when I was a kid because what revival meant to me is that I had to miss a week of TV. <laughs> I didn't get to watch Mork and Mindy and Three's Company, The Fall Guy, because the meetings of revival in a denominational church would go from Sunday night to the next Sunday night. And you had to go every night. And if you got a mom like mine that drug me to church, she drug, she drug me twice as hard during revival because I didn't get to see... The worst of the worst was not being able to watch the Dukes of Hazard on a Friday night. 
because I had to be in church. And so, um, so that's what revival was to me. And, and, and the, the denomination that we belonged to would bring in their top-notch, top-tier evangelist to come and speak to us. It was, it was one of those guys that, that screamed hellfire and brimstone through the whole week. Now, if, if you don't know what an evangelist does, an evangelist calls people to get born again, to become a Christian. So they bring in this evangelist to talk to all of us church people about hellfire and brimstone. They were there to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> Literal hell out of you. And to us Christians in that denominations, those evangelists did. They scared the hell out of all of us. Because we, as Christians, would go to the altar again. We would get saved again down front. We would, even if we didn't think we needed it, we went down front, got saved again and filled out the card. Hey, I'm giving my life to Jesus tonight. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, and that, that's what revival meant. It meant this guy was going to come in and, and, and get us saved again every night. And um, so is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. It's not wrong that um, it's it's not wrong for for them to try to stir up Christian value in our life, right? It's not that's not wrong. But instead of what the, what they didn't understand is that instead of hellfire, they should have been preaching heaven fire, because there's two different things. You can either be scared of the hellfire and get get give your life to Jesus um, out of fear, or you can have heaven fire and be empowered to take Jesus to the world. And so that's, that's what I've learned because heaven fire is the catalyst for personal revival. And so that's kind of what we've been talking about over the last uh, several weeks. We've been talking about revival, personal revival. And last week I talked about uh, revival fire. And today I'm going to kind of cap that off with, um, with this uh, revival fire, second part. Part two, part two. Um, so anyways, I want to give you uh, the, the definition of revival that we've been using over the last several weeks is to, is to return to recall or recovery to life from death. Revival is about, you, you cannot revive something that's alive because revival is all about reviving something to life from death. And so um, I've been talking a little bit about that. So if you, if you have your Bibles today, if you would go over to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is in the New Testament. It's, uh, you'll, you'll see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians right before 1 Thessalonians. And um, it's a small book. It's a powerful book. I love the, um, this, this book of Colossians. And um, the greatest revival that a person can experience is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That death that he suffered on the cross, being put in a tomb for three days and being raised from the dead is the greatest revival that we could ever have. Amen? And so last week we talked about that. And, and what, I, what I said last week, and, and I, I brought this candle 
out, out here. I forgot it today. I was going to bring it again, but I forgot it. Um, but revival is at the core of each one of us because of the resurrection. If you, if you consider yourself a believer, a Christian, you've asked Jesus to come into your life and you've got a relationship with him, there is a core of revival that runs up inside you. It's at the base of who you are. Just like a candle has a wick. If a candle doesn't have a wick, there's no way for it to do the purpose that it was designed to do, right? So that, that, that wick needs to be let, uh, lit up and as it's lit, it begins to burn down into the candle and the candle either puts off light or puts off scent. I always hated the Yankee candle store because it stunk. All these foo-foo things, all these foo-foo uh, smells. But that was the purpose. You got to light it to get the purpose, right? And that's the way we are. The Apostle Paul here in Colossians chapter 1 is the one, he, he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae. And, and this, um, this letter is phenomenal. But I wanted to, to um, just take a look at a few verses here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. <clears throat> it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now I'm reading this from the New King James today, so it's going to kind of not talk so much in our language. He says, I, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and, generation, and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them... God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray real quick. Thank you, father. Father, I thank you and I praise you for all that you are and all that you do today. God, I just pray that as we get into your word, as we begin to um, drill down into, into your word, Father, that you would bring revelation. We'd open our eyes to hear what you're saying to us today. We praise you. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Has all this smoke got people messed up? Oh, man. I'm all cotton mouth and everything else. So we read this, this piece here, and you may not have understood all of it, but when, when you begin to read this verses 24 through 27, the apostle Paul is writing and he's saying, you know, in verses 24 and 25, he's saying, I'm being an extension of Christ to you. This is my ministry. I am an, an extension of Christ's, Christ's sufferings and his victories. That's what a minister does. That's what I do. That's what Pastor Lynette does is on these days that we get to meet together um, here in this place or online and when we get together, it is our job to be an extension of who Christ is and, and what his job was to do. What he left us with is an extension of his sufferings, extension of his victories. And, and the Apostle Paul is saying this to the church. He's trying to bring understanding of what he is to do in the church. 
And, and, and he's saying, basically, I am bringing the revival that I have experienced, and I'm bringing that revival to you. Amen. And he goes on in verse 26, and he says that, that it's, it's a mystery. He said, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations. The mystery. What is the mystery he's talking about here? The mystery that no one understood before. He says, this mystery is revealed to his saints. Who are his saints? We are. Anybody that considers himself a Christian, anybody that has asked Jesus to come into their life, <clears throat> is a saint. Are you all here this morning? <clears throat> he said, he has revealed this mystery to his saints. And then in verse 27, this is one of my favorite verses of all time and, and that we just read. He says, to them, to them, to them who? To them saints, which is us. To them to make known the riches of his glory. Now, I went and looked that word riches up because I want to know what riches are. And the word riches in the, in the Greek here means the full potential. He says, to you, saints, it has been revealed the full potential of who God is, the full potential of his glory. So we got to know what his glory is, right? If we're going to give the, if we're going to have the full potential of his glory, then what is his glory? This is, this is what the Strong's Concordance says about glory. It says the, the glory is the condition with God the Father in heaven to which Christ was raised after he had achieved his work on earth. The glory is the condition of God the Father in heaven. We just got done singing a song that may your heaven be here in this earth. It's the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if the glory is what God's got in heaven through Jesus Christ's resurrection that we have on the inside of us, heaven is the conduit of his resurrection. Heaven is the conduit of revival. If we have revival at our core and it's lit, then we have heaven on earth. We have the ability. He said the, that we, that the saints have the riches of his glory. The full potential of heaven is in you. Amen. That's good. I mean, we could go home right there, but I'm not gonna. Heaven on earth power is what we've been given. Now, last week, I, I talked a little bit about Lazarus. You remember the story of Lazarus? When Lazarus died, Lazarus was one of Jesus' followers and his, one of his friends, and Lazarus died. And um, they put him in the tomb. He had been in the tomb for four days, and Jesus shows up at the tomb. <clears throat> and one of Lazarus' sisters runs out to him and says, Jesus. Not the way that we say it sometimes when you hit our thumb with a hammer. She runs out and she says, Jesus, Lord, Lord, if you would have come sooner, my brother wouldn't be dead. 
And Jesus said, well, he don't have to be dead now. Let's, um, you know, let's, let's know that he's going to be resurrected, right? And she said, she said to him, oh, I know he'll be resurrected in the last day. I know he'll be resurrected at some point. And Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. And so they ventured on to the, to the tomb where Lazarus is at. And, and he, Jesus walks up and he says, somebody roll away the stone. Somebody roll away, unseal the tomb. And Martha again speaks up and she says, but he's been in there four days. He's decomposing. He's going to stink. Don't open the door. We don't want to smell my brother. And, and Jesus, that's when Jesus looks at her and he said to her, if you believe me, once again, if you believe me, you will see the glory of God. Jesus is telling her, you're getting ready to see the glory. You're getting ready to see what, what God in heaven has. God in heaven does not have death in heaven. In heaven, no one dies. Everyone lives for eternity, right? So he's saying, you're going to see that power, that resurrection power, that revival power come into there. So Lazarus, come out. And here comes Lazarus. And he said, loose him and let him go. See, Lazarus, that glory that was revealed was that resurrection power inside of Jesus. He had heaven on the inside of him that when he spoke into that grave, the dead come out. That is a revival. That is the power of resurrection. And the apostle Paul here in Colossians is saying, the mystery is... The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of the full potential of heaven. You got it? The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, there's one little word that's in there, a little four-letter word that says hope. Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. What is hope? You know, in, in our day and time, when when you um, start speaking the word hope, it has something totally different assigned to it. Our our definition assigned to it is different than the biblical definition that's assigned to hope. See, today in our vernacular, hope mean hope has probability in it. Hey, are you are you going to dinner later? Boy, I sure hope so. That tells me probably I'm going, but I may not. There's some room there that I may not, I may not go. I hope so, but I don't know. But that's not the definition of the hope that he's talking about here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope. Uh, man, it may and it may not happen. That's not what he's saying. Hope in the, in the Greek is this. Biblical hope is high expectation for a sure thing. There's no probability in it. We're not hoping that Jesus comes back. We're not hoping 
that we have the power of God on the inside of us in the sense of uh, it may be there, it may not. He's saying you have a high expectation. Hope is a high expectation of a sure thing. Expecting the full potential of heaven in you because you said yes to Jesus. All of a sudden, it changes on the inside of who we are. We have resurrection on the inside of us. We have revival on the inside of us. And we have a sure thing, high expectation of a sure thing. In Colossians 1.27, in the Passion Translation, it says it's so beautiful. I want to read that to you. Colossians 1.27, in the Passion Translation of the Bible, it says, Living within you is the Christ who floods you with expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled of hope filled with riches of glory for his people and God wants everyone to know it. Exclamation point. God wants everyone to know it. That embedded on the inside of us is the hope of his heaven at the full potential. Amen. Amen. If you don't get anything else out of what I say today for the rest of our time, I want you to get this one thing is that God desires to dwell in you. God desires more than anything to live on the inside of who you are. God desires that more than anything. So the Apostle Paul called it a mystery. Why did he call it a mystery? mystery Is because God established these things in the Old Testament. He established what what his desire was in the Old Testament, but the people didn't get it. The, the, The people didn't always get what he was trying to do. So if you would, if you would go with me over to the other Testament, the Old Testament, and... Second Chronicles. I know you've been reading there all week long, all right? Second Chronicles. I love the, I, I once again love Chronicles because it, as Lynette says, that when you read First Samuel and Second Samuel, First Kings and Second Kings, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, when you read those things, you could make a major motion picture out of this deal. <laughs> and it would be rated NC-17 because of all the stuff that's going on, all the violence, all the sex, all the stuff is going on in this time. So when you read the Bible, a lot of times in these, in these places, uh, it's got kind of that, that uh, brave heart feel to it. It's kind of got that um, gladiator type of feel to it. You know, good blood and guts. Oh, that's good. But here in Second Chronicles, um, there, there's something that happens here in Second Chronicles chapter 7 is where we're going to go. And so I want to give you a little lead in to what we're going to see here. Do you all remember Moses? You know, Charlton Heston, he's the one that got him out of, out of uh, Israel, out of bondage to Egypt and led them out into the wilderness. Moses led them out into the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness for 40 years. But this is the place where God downloaded what he wanted to see through Moses and the children of Israel on earth. 
And not only did God give him the, the, the Ten Commandments and give him the law, but he also gave him within the law the download blueprints to what he wanted built, what God wanted built so that he could come and live among his people, that there wouldn't be this social distancing between the people on earth and him in heaven. He wanted, to, he wanted to dwell with his people. He desired to dwell with his people. So he downloaded to Moses the blueprints of a place called the Tabernacle of Meeting. And the Tabernacle of Meeting was a tent that they built right in the middle of camp. And it was mobile. Every, um, every time they had to move, they broke down the tent, broke down their tents, and they moved. And when they set it back up, God was always the, God's house was always the house set up first. And then everybody built around that because God would come and be in that place, in that tent of meeting. It's called the tabernacle. That went on for 500 years. After, even after the Israelites came into the land, after, after they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, they came into the land. The tabernacle where God dwelled with them was this mobile tent. And so in this mobile tent, uh, uh, David, the, the King David, 500 years after Moses had died, David took over kingship of Israel. And David got tired of wanting to, of, of God being in this tent. God was worth more than this tent. And so he said, I want to, God, I want to build you a house. And God said, David, you have conquered a lot of people to get this place, to get this place called Israel this place called Jerusalem. You've conquered a lot of people and you've spilled a lot of blood and therefore I don't want you to build the temple. I want you to give your son the empowerment to build the temple when he steps in as king. So David said, all right. He passes everything off to his son when he dies. Solomon became king over Israel and Solomon began to build the temple of God. And when he built this temple, it was a sight to behold because nothing, um, he spared no expense at building this building. He built it out of this great limestone and granite and then he covered it with gold, real gold, not Krylon spray can gold, <laughs> real gold. It was a sight to behold, <clears throat> but... Even though it was elaborate and beautiful, nothing matched it whenever God's presence came to that building. Between what, what Solomon did in making an elaborate building and what God did in that elaborate building, it was a sight to behold. It was a wonder of the world. It was probably the first wonder of the world in his time because people would come from thousands of miles just to see the temple of God. So in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, we see Solomon praying a prayer of dedication and God shows up. And so what's, before I get into chapter 7, what's so cool about this Solomon dedicating this building for the first time is that it happened during the Feast of Tabernacles. If you all have been looking at your calendars lately, Friday night began, this last Friday night began the Feast of Tabernacles. 
So it's no wonder that God had me preaching about this today. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that Solomon prayed in dedication to this temple and God shows up. Look at first, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. It says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. When he quit praying, all of a sudden, the fire came and the glory showed up. That same glory, that glory of heaven, God brought it to earth and it filled the temple. It goes on, it says, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then the king of all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice a, offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls. That's some livestock, isn't it? And 120,000 sheep. It was a bad day to be a cow, a bovine, or a sheep. So the king and all his people dedicated the house of God. In verse 6, I'm not going to go on. I'm just going to stop right there. See, the Old Testament temple was God's house. It was where he dwelled. It was where he came to be with his people. He wasn't sitting on this throne in heaven. He was in amongst his people because now he has got a house, a temple to show up at. The temple was a place of sacrifice, a place of ritual, a place of ceremony, and a place of religion. But when God showed up, he consumed the sacrifice, he canceled ritual and ceremony, and he pushed religion outside. The priest who was bringing that religion to the people could not go into the temple. They had to bow on their face outside the temple. They were on the ground because the temple came alive with God's presence, his power, and his glory. Do you know what they call that? Revival. See, that's what revival is. It's not about a week of hellfire and brimstone. It's not a week of you missing your favorite TV show. (laughs) Revival is when he shows up in presence, power, and glory among us. So the mystery that was there was that the temple became a dwelling place of God and his glory, the full potential of heaven on earth. It was a building. It was a geographic location where God lived on the earth. But something went wrong. I heard a phrase and I use it often. I heard a phrase several years ago and I use it quite a bit. 
And this phrase says that time in erodes awareness of. Time in erodes awareness of. You may remember uh, Pastor Lynette talking about uh, in 2012, we bought our house, our first house that we'd ever bought. And in this house, in our bedroom, the people who had it before us had stenciled the walls and the ceiling with, with ivy. It was stenciled, painted on ivy that ran up the walls and then branched out onto the ceiling and was around our ceiling fans. And, and when we looked at the house the very first time before we bought it, that was not a deal killer because we could go in and paint over that. We didn't like the ivy. We could paint over that. We didn't tell the people we bought it from we didn't like their ivy, but we, we, we didn't like the ivy that was painted on the walls and on the ceiling. 2012. But time in erodes awareness of. There, there came a time that every time we would walk in the bedroom, we didn't even see the ivy that was still there. Until 20, 2020 happened. When you are in your house all day long for months on end, you start to notice the ivy again. And so what did we do? We had time at home, so we painted the walls and the ceiling. We got rid of the ivy. But see, the, the thing about it is, is the time in erodes awareness of. And as these people, for years and years, going into the temple where God's presence was, they began to not even notice God's presence because of their religion. They were doing their religion. They were doing what they figured was right, but it began to overpower the presence of God in the temple. Time in erodes awareness of. Their man-made religion became more real than his presence. And the fire of his presence began to be extinguished. See, when we don't realize God's presence, the fire begins to diminish. When Jesus, fast forward, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that when he died, when he gave up the ghost, when he said it is finished and he died on that cross, the Bible says that the holy of holies inside the temple where God dwelled, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. If you know anything about that curtain, it was a foot thick piece of material. It wasn't like somebody came in with their Mickey Mouse scissors and started cutting it. (laughs) God, when God left, he ripped it from the top to the bottom and he left and went to heaven. From that point, when Jesus died on the cross, the spirit of God, the presence of God, the glory of God never filled that temple again. It was just a building. But what happened was 50 days later, 50 days after Jesus died on the cross and God left that building, 50 days later came a day called Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 talks about the day of Pentecost and they were all, Jesus told them, I want you to go to this place. I want you to wait there and watch what God is going to do in your presence. And in that 50 days in Acts chapter 2, we read it last week that the fire of heaven came into that room 
and set upon every person that was in that room. And great power began to happen. Miracle signs and wonders began to happen. His presence, his power, and his glory came not just into a room, but he came to a people. He came to a people. Revival broke out at that point. 120 people led 3,000 people to the presence of God during that time. In that first meeting. I would call that revival. I would call that revival. So over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul begins to unpack what that was. God left a building, but he came to a people. Do you get what I'm saying? He left a building. The building was just left as brick and stone, but he came to a people in that room. And this is what the apostle Paul says here. He opens this mystery up to us in, in first Corinthians chapter three, first Corinthians chapter three, verse 11 says for no other foundation can anyone lay than, uh, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will be, for the day will declare it, because it is re, it will be revealed by fire, and the it will be revealed by what? Fire. fire. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which has has which he has built on it endures, he will receive a, war, a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. And himself will be saved, yet so through as through fire. And then he says this, verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? See, what happened on that day that Jesus died, God left the temple. But 50 days later, he came to a people and put his fire, his power, and his glory on the inside of them because God desires above anything else to live in his people. That's revival. That's resurrection power. That's what God wants to do. He desires more than anything for his glory to dwell in you. See, we are his temple. We are his temple. He desires for us to come alive in the presence, the power, and the glory. He desires for us to come alive in revival so that we can bring revival to others who need to come alive. And we're not a building. We're not a geographical location. It's what God has given to us is not a come ye thing. Come ye. Jesus didn't say come ye. He said go ye. Go. It's that we are a geographic. We are not a geographic location or a building. We are a people going somewhere to happen. Because the fire of God has came and lived on the inside of us. Has lit us up so that like that candle we can do our purpose. Because we've got the fire of God. 
We've got the presence. We've got the power. We've got the glory. I have been reading lately about some of the great revivals that's happened just in our time. And in 1906, a man named William Seymour had been asked to come from his home church in Houston to Los Angeles. 1906. Los Angeles wasn't what it is today, but it was working on it. And William Seymour, a son of slaves, son of freed slaves, a black man went to Los Angeles to preach a message of Acts chapter 2. That when we get filled, empowered by God, that we can change the world. And, and one, of the, one of the doctrinal things that he would preach is that when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. And so that was his message that he brought to L.A. He preached his message. And the next day he shows up and they padlocked the building. They wouldn't let him in there anymore. They didn't like the message. But there were a group of people that he had preached to the night before about that message that said, we're interested. So would you come to our house? So they, he went to somebody's house and he said, okay, what do we do? They said, what do we do? And William said, let's pray. So they sat down, they gathered some chairs and they sat, sat around and began to pray for God to show up. They began to pray for revival to happen. And as they're sitting there, as you read these stories, the accounts of these stories in, in, in books, um, what you'll find is that it said that a fire like a lightning bolt hit that room as they were praying for that. And it knocked every one of them off their chair. And when that happened, they began to experience the power of God. And when they began to experience the power of God, other people began to hear what was going on. So they came to this house well, this house wouldn't hold 200 people, 300 people, 400 people. People just kept coming and coming. We want to we hear what this is all about. We're seeing the power of God happen to these seven dudes, eight dudes. We want to see it happen to us. And so they said, well, it's, y'all, this is too much. Let's go a few blocks over and we'll rent a building. They found a building for rent a few blocks over. And that building was a former Methodist church that had been turned into a horse stable. The Methodist church wasn't there any longer. So they were putting, it was a, it was a it's 1906. People are still riding horses everywhere. And so they, they made a livery stable out of this building. So they went and rented this building for $4 a, a month. How would you like to have that rent? $4 a month. And so they went in and they cleaned everything out. They got rid of all the poo and, and, um, and put down sawdust on the floors. It said that they took two crates and nailed them together. That's what became the pulpit for William to preach. And so they began to preach every night. Every night they had church. And thousands of people would come. Now the place wasn't big enough to hold thousands of people, but they'd fit in there what they could. The rest of the people stood outside. But here was the complaint that the neighbors had with what was going on there. The neighbors had the complaint that they kept hearing explosions happen. 
inside that barn. And there were several people on several occasions that would call the fire department because the building was on fire. But when the fire, when the fire department showed up, there was no fire. It was burning, but it wasn't consumed by fire. It was the, it was the presence of God in that place because God settled inside of them and it began to pour out. See, revival is about fire being lit on the inside of you. Personal revival is a person who is lit up with the presence, the power, and the glory of God. The thing about it is, is that we can't do anything to make that happen. That candle that I brought out here last week does not light itself. It has to be lit. And there's nothing more than God that God desires. He desires above anything else to be present and dwell on the inside of you. We, like that candle, can't light ourselves. We have to position ourselves to be lit. That's all we can do is just get ourselves into a place and that we open up. We let our little wick be exposed and we just say fire of God come God I want you you want me above anything else you want to dwell in me above anything else I want you to dwell in me above anything else we got to be hungry we got to be in that place to be open we can't do anything to make this happen there is no formula so that's why this message is a little bit different than what I usually do because usually I'll give you a one, two, three or an ABC and say, do this, do this and do this. And I like to make them with, that rhyme or I like to make them that, that have, start with the same letter or whatever so that you remember. But I don't have anything like that for you today because we can't do nothing. We cannot formulate God being a part of our lives other than being available and open to who he is. It's about positioning ourselves with our hearts open to the flame. Our desiring him more than anything else because he desires to be with you more than anything else. What is it like to be around somebody with fire? Man, it's, it's catchy. It's catchy. I long to see the days when the fire department pulls up out there and says, you're on fire. No, we're not. Literally. But really, spiritually, we are. Because of the presence, the power, and the glory of God. The presence, the power, and glory of God is not for us. It's for the world. I have found over the last several years that the most effective way of ministering Jesus to someone is not through the Roman road. It's not through the four steps of, of spiritual law. It's not 
What was that one that that guy did, that Ray Comfort? I can't remember the name of it now. The Way of the Master. It's, it's not these formulated things. It's what we have on the inside of us. That is the best way to lead somebody to Jesus is because you've got something different. The power of God is there to share with them the goodness of God. And they'll see it. We walk with the fire. We walk in the fire. We walk in a place where the fire department stops you on the side of the street and says, dude, you're on fire. I know. I'm like the burning bush talking to Moses. I'm, I'm on fire, but I'm not consumed. Because God desires above anything else to dwell inside of you. Let me pray for you and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. God, I thank you for trusting us with your mystery. God, I thank you so much for bringing fire into our lives. The holy fire. Not, that, not the message of hell, fire, and brimstone, but the message of heaven, fire, and your way of love. God, I just thank you so much for each and every one of us that have the fire or who have that core on the inside of us, the, 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 the wick that runs down of revival on the inside of us. God, I ask that you would light those things up. Light us up, God. Light us up. And if you're sitting there saying, I, I've never done that before. I've never asked God to light me up. It's, it's good. It's a good, good thing we're here right now because what I'm telling you is that you can just hold your hands out. Just open your hands up and to receive fire and, and ask God to light my fire. Light my fire. Thank you, Father. Light us up today, God. Light us up today. We may not understand it, but God, you will show us our purpose as you light our fire. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice or listening by podcast or listening by Facebook Live or, or wherever they're listening from, that right at this moment that they're hearing me talk, I pray that if they've never said yes to Jesus Christ, that they would say yes to Jesus Christ today. See, Jesus didn't make his disciples walk an aisle, raise a hand, pray a certain prayer. Jesus asked his disciples, would you come and follow me? And if they said yes, they went and followed him. If they said no, then they didn't. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, Jesus is asking you today, would you come? And follow me. When you believe that he died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave, that is true revival that brings life to who you are. If you say yes today, you will become a Christian. You'll become saved. You'll become born again is what we call it. I just like that I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I follow after Christ. So, Father, I thank you for those that are saying yes today. Maybe those that are saying yes again. Those that are saying, God, light my fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. Light my fire. God, I just thank you so much that you have a people that you love to dwell in. We give you all glory and honor and praise for what you're going to do 
with the presence, the power, and glory on the inside of us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.